Amen. Uh, If you have your Bibles, open up to the uh, book of Mark, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right there in that second half of your Bible. We'll be jumping into Mark chapter 1 today. Um, Has anybody here ever been to Atlanta? World of Coke? Yeah. We went to the World of Coke several years ago. And uh, it was actually on that trip we were praying about planting and had gotten the offer and uh, trying to figure that out. And um, as we were there, you know, it's a wonderful city. We had perfect weather. And we go in this world of Coke. And, uh, you know, the kids' favorite part of it was this room filled with these uh, free samples. You just go up to the fountain and drink them. All these flavors of Coke from around the world, they have the different flavors. Africa has got the weirdest stuff. Um, yeah, some ginger-flavored Coke. It's uh, pretty potent stuff. Uh, but in that room, you walk in. It's kind of like the floor, like this gym. But you've never had such great traction in your life. Uh, you're just like, you could barely walk across it. It's so sticky. Uh, as you enter, you go into this room, and uh, they close the doors behind you, and their host comes out. And it's amazing. There were people from all over the world there. And, and then on these screens, as you're standing there, they all turn into this movie. And uh, you just see these moments of a uh, soldier arriving home or of, uh, of somebody uh, looking like uh, they're, they're getting ready to propose. All of these uh, unique and passionate and emotional moments. And then the music shifts and, and draws you more in. And then after you get the yes or you give the hug, everybody pops open a Coke. And you wonder, right, Coca-Cola has been around for years. It's just a cola. It's not the, I'm a Pepsi guy, but um, it's just a cola. And yet it has permeated the world's marketplace. You know, they know what they make and they know how they make it, although they claim it's some top secret formula. I think Dr. Pepper's formula is a little better. Um, If you go to their museum, it's like a little smaller in Waco. (laughs) But uh It's permeated the culture, and it's become bigger than itself. We have products like that, don't we? Um, Starbucks, it's just a cup of coffee. I've been uh, to Pike Marketplace, to the original Starbucks. Why is it that some of these begin to transcend? Well, I think we know, and if you know of anything in marketing, but there's a, a what and a how that you communicate to people about your product. But what makes it go beyond that is the why. When you connect people with a why that's bigger than itself, in Coca-Cola, you are going to enjoy life together. It's part of all your memories, and they try and stir that emotion in you. It's not a cup of coffee. It's an experience that they want you to have. The what and the how and really matter in what we're doing. And yet, if we have uh, the what and the how, we need a compelling why. Otherwise, we can get lost. Now, the people of Israel knew the what and the how. They knew what they're supposed to do to connect with God, make sacrifices, follow the Ten Commandments. And uh, they, they knew how to do that. In fact, they got the what and the how down so well that the Pharisees just kept adding to it. Here's more what you do and how you do it to get right with God. Uh, far above and beyond what God ever intended, they added traditions and teachings and ways to honor the Sabbath, and the list were endless. 
I don't think if I were alive at the time, I could have kept track of it all. And, uh, but they had, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, holy police that looked after everybody to make sure they were doing it. Uh, it wasn't really a pleasant place to be in. And yet, I think as we come into the New Testament, we understand that they, the people of Israel knew the how and the what of their beliefs, but they had forgotten the why. They had forgotten why they were supposed to do that. They had missed out on the big picture. And so God is going to come in in the midst of that, and there's this promise of a Messiah. And in the promise of a Messiah, the people were looking and wanting that transcendent, why are we doing this? We're waiting and waiting. And if, if you know your church history, the, the Old Testament ends, and then it's hundreds of years of silence. No prophets, no word from God, whereas he used to be very active. And they're wondering. And about 30 years before we enter our scene today, there was a stirring. Maybe some of them had heard, some shepherds saw some angels, and they'd heard that the, the king had sent to kill all of these babies in this area because he thought the Messiah was born. Maybe they, and I'm sure that the, um, like it says in Lord of the Rings, where Jonathan and I were watching this week, it, uh, it said that, that the story in history became legend, and legend became a myth. And within 30 years, some of them had already gone back to losing hope and like, eh, maybe the uh, Messiah really didn't arrive. Our cruel king overreacted killed a whole generation of young men. And then the scene begins to change. And that's where Mark enters us. He doesn't enter us at the, the cradle, doesn't enter us at Christmas. Mark jumps right into this scene. And he opens up his gospel in verse 1. <clears throat> the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Boom. That's his purpose. That's the purpose of this gospel, is to let you know Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He gives Jesus the title, that's not his last name, okay, the title, the Christ, the one, the Messiah they were looking for. And then he proclaims he is the Son of God, hitting that most sensitive spot that we'll see is debated over and over, is God equal, is Jesus equal to God, is he divine, and Immediately, Mark is saying, this is who I identify him as. And he uses that word gospel, good news. This is the good news, the proclamation that we have been waiting for. This is the why. And then from there, he takes us right into uh, some Old Testament prophecies. He says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Make his paths straight. I don't know if you've ever uh, seen the old movies or like the Middle Ages, they would send a town crier or somebody ahead saying, the king is coming, the king is coming, you better get ready. Get out of the way of the streets, line the streets, make sure the king is honored, and you better bow when the king comes through your village. They would go, they would prepare the way so that there were no hindrances for the king. Today we have special ops, 
They come in days before any dignitary or president arrives, clear everything out. Then you've got the motorcade that comes down and makes the way straight and smooth. And he's pointing them to the one they'd all looked for, and they're wondering who it would be. Some thought, you know, maybe it'd be Elijah because he got swept up in a chariot. We never heard of him dying. He went right to heaven. Maybe he's going to come back and speak to us. Mark says that messenger has indeed arrived. And he has arrived and he's come and he's prepared the way. But who had God called for this role? Who had God sent ahead of him? Who could be worthy of such an honor to declare the way of the Son of God? As we look here in verses 4 through 8, we see the man, John. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with the water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So you've got to get used to this. Mark just jumps into it. Sometimes we'll be jumping to other Gospels to get more details. Because Mark is to the point. He tells you what's happening, gives you a few solid quotes, and then moves on to the next thing. So we're going to dig in a little bit deeper here to what Mark is talking about. Who is this John the baptizer? What's his message? How can he speak on behalf of God Almighty? Um, last month, uh, I was thought it was quite ironic. Dad and I went down to uh, folks on the family that have pastor's appreciation luncheon, and I saw it was Alistair Begg. And I tell you, if I had a Scottish accent, you guys would never, ever be bored, right? I don't know, sermons just sound better in that accent. Um, but he spoke, and he opened up, and he said, Today I want to speak to you from Mark chapter 1. I was like, ooh, I'm taking notes. <laughs> um, and he was t- speaking on a different angle on, on preaching the Word of God and how to do so. And yet, um, we don't want to miss the uniqueness of this man, John, and how different he was. Uh, he, he's not just your run-of-the-mill guy that comes on in and, and, and speaks. Now, I think if you were to see him today, maybe he would look like a guy from ZZ Top, some of you that, or maybe Duck Dynasty. And maybe uh, if he were to hang out somewhere, he'd be hanging out in Sprouts and getting the uh, honey-dipped locust out of their bin and filling it up so in, in his Birkenstocks. Uh, he wasn't... Somebody who went through the streets and just said, oh, come and pay attention to me. He didn't burst into the synagogues. He was out in the wilderness preaching. And people inconveniently went out to him. And then he insulted them. He he told them the sins they were doing. He didn't hold back. It wasn't this nice little coddling message. He was a powerful, in-your-face, black and white, right and wrong speaker. And yet people began to be drawn out into the wilderness to hear this message of this man who uh, I liken him to looking maybe more like uh, from The Hobbit, the, the, the wizard in the woods, just scraggly, and people were like, what is he saying? 
Perhaps he was closer to the Old Testament prophets who were often quite quirky and different and stood out. And yet he wasn't in the streets as they were. Um, and so he, he came out and, and something was different about him. And uh, he lived a rough life, uh, uh, the life of they would call it an aesthetic. He, he denied himself many of the world's pleasures. He kept himself focused. And as we'll see later on in Mark and in the Gospels, Jesus commends him of being no greater man than him had walked the earth as far as us sinners are concerned. So John is a unique person given a unique role in history. First a few people came, then tens, then twenties, then hundreds went out to see him. You know, and John, he, he didn't complain. He complied with what God had for him to do. He complied with the Lord. He did not speak perfect venue or at the right moment with a culturally savvy presentation. He just spoke the word of the Lord and he pointed people to Jesus. And I, John is a, a good example to us that there's no ideal place to serve God except the place he puts you down. In other words, wherever he has placed you, you can serve him. You don't need to wait for the next moment, the next perfect situation to come along. Wherever he has set you, if the Holy Spirit's working, people will move. People will come. People will be touched. You will grow. And so, who are you and I that God has commanded us to point people to Jesus? Who is John? He's just another man, a common man with passion, a little bit different. But we have the same role as him in many ways. We've been given a message to point people to Jesus Christ. And I want you to keep that in mind as we visit and walk through this, uh, this morning. You know, because it's very challenging speaking on someone's behalf. <laughs> Especially when you're delivering an unpopular message. I can't imagine being an ambassador having to go and, and deliver a message that may not be received well by the person you're sent to. On the one hand, and I, uh, I've watched many of movies, or if you see uh, even the mobsters who send somebody to send their message, if it doesn't go well, they get killed, or they get stoned by the, the they either get killed by the person who sent them, or they get killed by the ones receiving the message. It's not a fun spot to be in. And John was not in that fun spot either. He had many a threat and eventually would be killed. And if it goes really well, like it was, and we'll see, people coming out, you could uh, fall into that trap of taking all the credit. <laughs> Look at me. All these people are responding to me and my ministry. And that's a trap. It's a trap that many pastors fall into, that I have to surround myself with men. Because things go well, you can start to think it's about your ideas. Things go slowly or poorly, you can tell yourself apart, but are you really just fulfilling your role, which is being true to the gospel and sharing and pointing people towards Jesus Christ? You see, John's message had a striking clarity, humble integrity, and he delivered it as one with divine authority and a passionate urgency about it. We're going to look at each of those aspects of his message this morning. Uh, Alistair Begg said this. It really struck me. It's the one quote that stood out. Uh, he said, The Word of God does the work of God by the Spirit of God 
through the lips of those called by God. So it's the Word of God. It does the work of God by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, His role, He unveils and He convicts through the use of Scripture. And He does it through the people of God. And that's how lives are changed. And so John was filled with the Spirit. We know he's filled with the Spirit from birth. Even in the mother's womb, he leapt for joy when Jesus and he were together there, and they were both in their mom's wombs. And so John was filled with the Spirit, filled with power. And uh, here are some of the things he taught. Uh, Quoting from Matthew, he says, But when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers. That's uh, an insult back in the day that was pretty bad. (laughs) You pit of snakes, you slithering people that can't tell the truth, that are misleading. Uh, He said, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He's saying, don't think the what and the how, or how you're going to get into heaven. You've forgotten why. It's not just your inheritance. It's a relationship with God, and you need to repent and get right with God. He also spoke to people to be generous. Give your cloak to another person if they need a tunic or a cloak. He told the tax collectors, he got in their face, said, be honest. He told the soldiers, quit extorting people. And if that wasn't brave enough, he told the ruler of the land that he was committing adultery and incest. And eventually that would get him beheaded. (laughs) He didn't pull any punches. He was all in against sin. And I don't want us to think we're too far off from the people who came out into the desert, uh, into the wilderness to hear him. We can easily fall into saying we know what to do and how to do it, but forget that why. Forget that relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Forget the intimacy he's called us to. There are so many things we understand how we're supposed to live and how people are not supposed to live. And it can become pretty easy to walk in that and have a checklist and just become religious and lose that relationship. And we constantly have to return to that. That's why he is saying that we need to repent. His message came with divine authority. He was calling people back to the Lord. He spoke as one who had confidence and had a message to deliver that wasn't from man, but was from God. So he had no fear of anyone in the audience. He was there to deal with sin and to preach a message of get right with God. The kingdom is near. The kingdom is coming. Jesus is on his way. The Messiah is on his way. You need to get ready. Prepare your hearts. Get back to a right place with God. I love it. Uh, A.W. Tozer says this of repentance. Uh, He says, The Lord will take nine steps towards us, but he will not take the tenth. He will incline us to repent, but he cannot do the repenting for us. 
There's a striking clarity in, in that message, isn't it? A striking clarity that he, he called out, even his manner of life and the way he lived spoke out against the materialism they had of their day. They still struggled with that, even though they didn't have all that we have. Even these buildings with heat, we can be warm and travel in the snow. And they didn't have that. And yet, he pointed them humbly back to the Lord. They had forgotten their love of the Lord, that command to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they'd focused on outward appearances and works in order to make themselves right with the Lord. And even though we are forgiven in Christ, all our sins are washed away. To allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us, that's that moment we need to repent of our sins. To make our relationship right. If I, if I wrong my wife and I don't go to her and make it right, that there's a lack of trust there in communication. That's why in First John we're told to confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He's speaking to believers there. We don't keep doing that in order to keep wiping the slate clean so that we, we um, fall in and out of heaven. We do that to keep growing in Christ and keep that relationship strong, allowing him to transform us. And so repentance is a call for all of us. And it could be a call for you here this morning where you, you hadn't heard the gospel before. You're just seeing who Jesus is. And Jesus came to have relationship with us. But the biggest divide between us and our Lord and Savior has always been our sin. Whether it's great or small or in between, sin divides us from the Lord. And repentance is a way back to him. It's a turning of one direction and literally means going the other way. Going our own way, going towards the Lord. Now this is not something that was common. For that culture, the Gentiles were often baptized or sprinkled if they came over to the Jewish faith. But to call a Jewish person to be baptized and dunked in a river, was a wholly radical concept that was brand new to them. And we're so used to it, we can miss that this was a shocking message. To go and to get dunked in? Well, no, that's why we go to the temple. That's why, why we saved that, our best animals to cover us. What are you talking about? And yet the Holy Spirit moved and people began to just get baptized one after the other. And, and so scholar William Lane points out that this baptism was so unique, no one had ever done it. And the Jews were now being asked to do something they had never encountered in their history. Thus, the title John the Baptizer became his name and his nickname. And those lines began to form and people would come. And, and so the challenge at this point for John was to deal with humility. <laughs> Humble integrity. And so in the midst of his message, and I'm sure he said it more than once, <laughs> I'm not the Messiah. People in that culture at that time, a good preacher, a good speaker would arise and they'd be like, is this the one? Is this the one? One by one they would fade and prove themselves inadequate. And John would say, I'm not the one. I'm not even worthy to be the servant to do the lowest of the low jobs to untie his sandals and wash his feet. He had humility. 
in the midst of all this, he was continually fighting to point people towards Jesus, towards Jesus, and not himself. And he even, as we understand by reading the other Gospels, he even began to have disciples following him. Those who would show up and say, you are now our rabbi, you are our teacher, we are your students, we will walk with you, we will learn from you, we will serve with you. They helped him baptize. And we see when Jesus calls some of the disciples of John, switch from John to Jesus. And so the challenge became for his heart to stay pure and humble. Now in this message, John speaks of two baptisms. He speaks of this baptism of repentance in the Jordan, but then he says, the one who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There'll be a renewal from within, this new covenant of God dwelling in us, that Jesus would bring uh, this new time of relationship in connection with the Lord that would come through Jesus Christ. You know, it's hard, I think, for me, if something goes well, and you want to get those attaboys, you want to get that encouragement, you want people to lift you up and tell you, nice job. And if someone else gets the credit, uh, and we're the ones who are supposed to get it, <laughs> you can get offended or angry or, or it hurts. Um, humility and integrity are hard to come by. And unfortunately, I don't think we even expect them of our leaders anymore. <laughs> I don't think anyone's really known for that anymore. And so John is unique, and he reminds us of the power of humility and integrity. He wore poorest of poor clothing. That camel's hair, we joke about it, but that was not worn by anybody of any repute. It was not attractive to look at. It wouldn't draw people to him. He would even say later on, he'd say, he must increase. His ministry is going to increase, and my crowds need to decrease. And then he had a passionate urgency. In Matthew 3, he says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. The Messiah is here. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to respond to the Lord. Anytime we hear the gospel, anytime we're in a situation that God convicts us, that is the time to respond. We can get so comfortable, we lose the urgency. And now, urgency without humility can lead us to become just like the Pharisees. They just pound on people and we preach the truth, but we've got no grace about us. So as we get into the ministry of Jesus, we'll see he comes with 100% truth, 100% grace. It's not some balance of the two. It's 100% all the time. And so it's good for us to remember there's an urgency behind what we're doing. There's an urgency behind why Incline Church is here. There's an urgency behind where God has placed you in your life. And there's an urgency that should be in your heart to connect with Jesus Christ. Let us not lose that urgency. John's ministry was short. Very short and impactful, but it always had eternal implications on its mind. Here in, in verse 9, he goes on to say, he immediately jumps from this short picture of John's ministry, and then he says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee 
and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately the heavens began to be torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Hundreds of years of silence, John comes preaching the gospel. The skies open up, and God's very voice is finally heard upon the earth. This is my son, who I am well pleased with. In John's humility, if you read the other gospels, he he refused. He's like, why would I baptize you? Why would Jesus get baptized? He had no sin. He didn't come to repent. So his baptism is not like John's and it's not like ours. And so the reason Jesus went out, I believe, to be baptized is uh, there are several things. The first is identity. (laughs) To identify with the sins of the people that he came to die on the cross for. Identifying himself, connecting himself with the people who needed that repentance saying, I'm coming to deal with this once and for all. Baptism for him was also revealing his identity as the son of, Christ, a son of God. As the heavens opened up and God declared, this is my son, and John appointed people, this is the Messiah, he's here. That inaugurated his ministry. That launched him out into the public view. Is declaring this man from Nazareth has not sinned, does not need a baptism of repentance, but he is the one that will cover all sins for all time on the cross. He is the very Son of God, the Messiah you have been longing for. And so there's some common points I'd like to just talk for a moment about baptism. And so Jesus is or John's baptism was calling people to get away from that what and how and remember the why, the relationship with God. They're saying, we're sorry, we've made it all about these acts. We've forgotten it's about knowing you, Jesus. And then Jesus was baptized. And then we have that command to be baptized today. And so within that command to be baptized uh, today, Jesus said that in the Great Commission. Declare the gospel and baptize them. We do We believe that baptism is not a means of salvation, but what it is, it's an outward sign of an inward work of God. That's the same with John's baptism. It wasn't cleansing them literally of their sins. It was showing that their heart had changed. It was a demonstration in front of friends and family saying, I'm repenting of my sins. I'm getting right with God. And that's what ours is. And it's it's identifying us with the family of God. Saying, we are part of the family of God. We want the world to know we are Jesus's. So when we have a baptism and somebody does that, it's a declaration. It's a testimony of the work of God. It's that picture in Romans 6. We go down and as the old man and come up new, washed away from our sins. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us, renewing us. The old has gone, the new has come. Therefore, we are new creations in Christ. And if anybody feels they need to take that step of baptism, just talk to us. We got a portable thing. We wheel in here and we do warm it up. (laughs) Okay. And uh, we would love to help you understand what that step is and how to take it and to declare 
and to obey Jesus and say, we want to identify ourselves as a follower of Christ. I've made that decision to repent and believe in the Son of God. And there's a great celebration over that. I, can, I often think of baptism as uh, that step where you decide this is your team and you get the gear, you wear the hat, the shirt. And I'm telling you, in, in Texas, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing maroon cars, hats, clothes on a game day at Texas A&M. It was everywhere. Everybody knew who you identified with by what you wore. Or maybe you wore burnt orange or another color. And they would know who you're with. I accidentally wore the wrong color to preach in one time down there. I thought it was a good-looking shirt. I don't think anyone heard my message that day. I identified wrong. But we can identify with Christ. And through baptism, through the way we live and who we point to Jesus. But I say that because when we focus on the what and the how, we're merely fans of Jesus, not followers. We're just wearing the t-shirt. We're just fans cheering him on. But followers try to walk in his way because we understand the why. The why of that relationship. See, because as believers, when we forget the what and the how of the gospel, they lose their power. When we leave out the why, we do it. For us to just go tell people, you need to live this way, vote this way, change this. I'm like, you don't have the power to do any of that until you understand you're a sinner and the Holy Spirit comes in you and then there's this transformative power and your life is changed. Before that, it's like asking somebody to, to go drive a car with no gas in it. You can't do it. We've got to have the power of the Lord in us. That's John's message over and over, pointing people to Christ, pointing people to Christ. Pointing people to Christ. That's your role. Point people to Christ. Does your life point people to Christ? You know, the role of veterans and those who have served, they sacrifice their lives. And so great, one of the best examples of pointing people to Christ is saying, Greater, great is somebody who gives up their life for somebody who's their friend. But Jesus gave up his life for us while we were still sinners. He died for us. So I thought this weekend, how appropriate would it be to hear from somebody who's trying to live and point from uh, people to Christ while serving in the military and while, while serving in the world amongst people who don't know Christ. And so I've asked Pat Hamlin to come up and share some of his story with us uh, this morning um, on how he aims to point people towards Christ and not himself. Thank you, Pat. So uh, I'm Pat Hamlin, and... Uh... Pastor Kevin asked me to share a couple thoughts um, and, and part of my story, my testimony here. You know, I was, uh, I was raised in the church from as long as I can remember. And I will say that that church is very much about the hows and the whats and not the whys. Um, and I would go further to say that as much as they emphasize the hows and the whats, they really didn't follow them. And so at a very early age, I became very disenchanted with the church. Um, and as soon as I could get out of the house... I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm never going back to the church. Never happening again. It was so bad my senior year of high school. Um, my, my dad said, you don't even have to come to church with us anymore. Just, just try and go somewhere. And so I did. I, I refused to go back to that church. But I joined the Air Force. And my John the Baptist was a young Air Force staff sergeant uh, named Dave Johnson. And um, 
when when I when I got into the Air Force, I mean, I was the I was the airman that everybody wanted working for him, the technician, the hard worker. You know, that was part of my fulfillment. But it was there was still an emptiness in there that that I, I couldn't explain. And then th- it started the slow slide into just crazy living. And uh, I was a absolute wild child, if you will, a party animal, and everything that came everything that came with it. And then there was Dave. So Dave Johnson was, uh, he was like the absolute opposite sort of guy that I was. It was amazing that we were even friends. He was super low-key, laid back, all about the fun, uh, the good fun. And I was the, you know, type A, high stress. And he's like, Pat, just just relax. And every, every morning we'd have like a lead meeting. I was in charge of a section. He was in charge of a section. And Dave would be like always inviting me to church. I'm like, Dave, I don't want to go to church. Church is full of hypocrites. It's full of people that are emphasizing on the to-do list, the hows and the whats. And I'm just not about that, man. And, you know, getting to know him, he heard a little bit about my story. And he'd be always on me. He's like, Pat, you know how you're living. It's wrong. He's like, you know what you're supposed to be doing. You know why you're supposed to be living um, a a Christian life. I'm like, Dave, I don't want to hear it. I'm not interested. And uh, there was one morning uh, that was kind of the turnaround morning. Heavy night of partying before. And I, I woke up with just a splitting headache and um, you know, with the, the party taste in your mouth, that it doesn't matter how many times you brush your teeth, it's just there and it's nasty. And uh, I, I woke up, and the first thing that popped in my head was the Bible verse, and it was Hebrews twelve six. It says that those of the Father loves that he disciplines, and the Son that he receives, he scourges. And I remember, like, lying there in my bed, thinking, I'm the airman of the year, I'm the technician of the year, and I haven't been disciplined. I haven't been scourged. And I was like, oh my gosh, does God love me? So I have this philosophical debate in my head. Well, it says God is love. I believe in internal security. I know the intellectual argument for it. But what's wrong with me? And so I thought about Dave. And I got out of bed, and I went to church with Dave. And um, Dave's church became my church. Um, That's actually where I met Jill, uh, Living Water in Colorado. And that's not why I stayed there. Actually, Jill wasn't even there when I first got there. Uh, She came later on. And I'm very glad that she did. Um, but yeah, I, and I didn't understand. Like, these people were, like, legitimately happy to be Christians. They were legitimately trying to love each other and, and do what God said. It was this whole other side I'd never seen before. And there were things in that church that I, I didn't quite understand, so I started reading the Bible, and he got me. And uh, that was the real turnaround, turnaround moment uh, in my life. It, it was Dave is just his persistence and his absolute care uh, for me. Um, and, yeah, it, it wasn't a convenient time to do it. I mean, uh, we were, when we talked, most of the time was at work. We were hunting down the Taliban. It was right after 9-11. And, um, but Dave still took time. He still took time. And I, and I think about, you know, pointing people to Jesus, and there's two things uh, to take away from it. And, and the first thing is carrying persistence. And I think this goes to what you were talking about. Like, you don't just, you're not just trying to be right. If you're coming and, and you're trying to point people to Jesus because you're right and they're wrong, then, then you're wrong. Um, that's not what John the Baptist did. It's not what Jesus did. It was caring persistence, and Dave never quit. And the other thing is the, the, uh, the perfect is always the enemy of the good. And I know in my, in my life, um, it's very easy to say this is not the perfect moment. This is not the right moment. I've, got, I've just got to wait till the stars align, and it, it'll be this great thing. Um, but that, 
that's not what God is calling us to do either. It's looking for all the little moments. And um, so don't let the, the, the perfect be the enemy of the good enough. And, and just try and share where you can, when you can. It's God that provides the increase. It's, we're just, you know, planting the seeds and watering. And uh, so I'm very grateful for Dave being that John the Baptist and pointing me um, to Christ. And we were both kids, and I feel like we were just growing up in the Air Force. But it was awesome. So thank you.